is made possible by the Community Radio Fund of Canada's Radio Meters program. Welcome back to CITR 101.9 FM. My name is Will Riley, and together with my twin brother Liam, we are the hosts of the bi-weekly radio show presented by the UBC Film Society, The Real World. Uh, we would like to begin by acknowledging that the land on which we record this show is the tra- traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory of the Musqueam people. Um, so my name is Liam Riley, and I'm here with my brother Will. Hello. And uh, we are the co-hosts of The Real World this year. Um, we didn't get a chance to introduce ourselves too much on our last episode, um, but we've got a bit more time here. So I should say before we start that our show this week is going to be, uh, we're going to be interviewing Joel Ashton McCarthy, um, a filmmaker and festival runner here in Vancouver. Um, he's a pretty prominent figure in the in the Vancouver filmmaking scene on the independent side. Um, and we'll be talking to him about his documentary, uh, I am Alfred Hitchcock. Um, and then we'll also be talking to him about the Vancouver run and gun film fest, a 48 hour film festival, um, that runs out of, uh, Vancouver in, uh, it's gone every May recently, but now he's going to be changing it to, I think February this year or next year. Um, so yeah, we're excited to have him on, but first we're just going to introduce ourselves a bit. Um, so yeah yeah so we're both fifth year students obviously like i said uh which we're twin brothers um both majoring in political science and minoring in film studies um for myself i'm a recent uh joinee i guess of the ubc film society um i joined last year over covid and this year with liam uh we 
decided to try to get more involved with the film society and and so we have uh taken on the role as uh radio liaisons so we're super excited to continue to do this throughout the year yeah i i found the film society a couple years ago on campus um and i've been coming out to screenings with the film stock which happen uh every thursday at 7 p.m at the norm theater in the life building on on campus at ebc um yeah and so we're excited to be getting involved with uh with the radio show um our kind of approach i guess to the to the show is going to be um we want to interview lots of people obviously we want to interview people who are who are involved in the vancouver film industry we also want to interview um some friends and talk about movies that we love uh, we've already talked to michael dang the uh film curator at the film sock last week about inside lewin davis um you can find that episode on our page on uh citr and um yeah so will and i are both uh we're both filmmakers. We've been trying to, uh, we've been making short films for a couple of years now. Um, we kind of got going a lot more over COVID. Uh, we made a, several short films over COVID and we're still working on stuff now. Um, and so that's kind of our perspective, I guess, uh, as we try and interview these people, especially someone like Joel, Joel who uh, is, uh, is successfully uh, making films right now. He's also you know he's he's doing other things but he's making films and so um that's kind of been our approach we're going to try and get guests on on the show that um can kind of give their insight or can kind of shed light on their experience as filmmakers especially in vancouver um yeah and on, on the independent side of things so we're uh, we're very excited with that yeah and um as filmmakers we're also film enjoyers um, and something that we do that we think will make us better filmmakers, uh, writers, uh, directors in general is just watching a ton of movies. Um, so for the past uh, many months, I guess, for myself, for Liam, well over a year, uh, we watched a movie every single day. Um, and that kind of informs uh, how we approach uh, watching and enjoying movies. Um, so we have a, a wide variety of films that we, we really love and, and we've gone through the the journey of watching tons of films and obviously we have a ton more to watch but um another thing we'd like to do is just have people on the show who also enjoy films and and, and we'll we'll talk about them so we have tons of plans for future episodes and, and we're really excited to to go both into the the industry side or the filmmaking side in terms of the independent um scene in vancouver as well as just uh discussing films that we're watching recently or have watched in the past yeah, obviously we we love watching movies. Uh, I've I've watched the movie every day for probably 500 600 days and so um you know, just trying to watch as many movies as we can as as students and as enjoyers of uh, of film. Um so yeah, we're super excited. We have uh, a few guests lined up. Our our next episode hopefully we'll be talking about um the 2021 VIF uh film festival. Yeah, as this episode is releasing, uh it is in the at the end of VIF, I guess it'll be the second last day, this Sunday, and um, Monday will be the final day. So uh, we'll have already seen a number of uh, movies, and we'll be seeing a couple more. Um, so we hope to have uh, a friend on the show who is also checking out a bunch of different VIF movies, and we'll do a bit of a roundup um, talking about what we enjoyed about the festival. Um, for us, it was, it's our first experience at VIF, so... Uh, we'll talk about that and as well as the the films that we um, got the chance to see. Yeah, as, as this episode is airing, we probably will be watching um, Celine Siama's new film, Petite Maman. Um, we're very excited about that. Uh, we've seen a couple so far, but we're going to try and save that for uh, for next for next week. But um, we're super excited about about VIF, and yeah, that's kind of the kind. Of, it's kind of what we want to do with this with the show. We want to try and. Uh, talk to talk to our friends about about films and and interview people about films so so yeah uh before we get into the show i guess we'll just shout out ourselves a little bit um we have a, a production company we call uh walnut house pictures will and i are from walnut grove so you can uh you can find us uh on youtube or instagram at walnut house pictures um you can also find ourselves on instagram at uh for me it's at liam patrick riley and for will it's his full name at will aaron riley um yeah if you want to check out some of our films um 
you can find them on uh, on YouTube, and uh, we'd love for anyone, any listener, to to check those out and to let us know what they think. All right, so we're just gonna take a quick break here, and we'll come back, and we'll have Joel on, and we'll be discussing a whole lot of stuff uh, pertaining to him. Tune in to African Rhythms every Friday from 7.30 to 9 o'clock with your host, David Love Jones, as he plays a heavyweight selection of classics from the past, present, and future. This includes jazz, soul, hip-hop, Afro-Latin, funk, and eclectic Brazilian rhythms. Lots of people, they take it like a game. Red Cat Records is an amazing artist-owned and operated record store. Shop from their diverse online music collection and get free shipping within Vancouver and the Lower Mainland with the purchase of two or more LPs. If you would like to further support them through the evolving COVID-19 crisis, you can do so by buying a gift card to use at a later date. Visit www.redcat.ca for more information. 
Okay, welcome back everyone to CITR. This is The Real World, and today we're speaking with Joel McCarthy. Um, hey, hey. Joel is a uh, writer, director, activist, vessel runner. He wears a lot of hats, but uh, we're excited to talk to him. So Joel, thanks for uh, coming on. Pleasure to be here. Um, so the first question we wanted to ask you. So, um, so hold on, before we start. Joel, uh, he has just released a new documentary. Yeah. I'm Alfred Hitchcock. Um, it uh, kind of covers Alfred Hitchcock's uh, career and life. It kind of takes an interesting perspective. It, it kind of peels back the layers and looks at Alfred Hitchcock as a person um, rather than his sort of uh, auteur uh, persona. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the context of this. But uh, so Joel, how did you, why did you decide to, to make a documentary to begin with? Uh, well, I uh, I first did I did my very first documentary right out of film school that was called Taking My Parents to Burning Man, and it was about a guy taking his parents to Burning Man. And the thing I, I really liked about docs is uh, how like a lot of the times you can get a lot done without like a massive army of people and what have you. But um, this was actually one of the first jobs I just like legit pitched for. Um, I have not, I've had a directing agent for a number of years and uh, there hasn't been too many opportunities that knocked on my door, but um, this company I had known uh, makes these I Am documentaries uh, generally about dead celebrities. And uh, for some reason I, I got a call saying, hey, do you want to pitch for the new I Am documentary? And I was like, thinking because a lot of the stuff that I, I've been known for is kind of more like stoner comedy and stuff like that. I was like, maybe it's a John Candy doc or something like that. I'm like, yeah, that, yeah. that'd be why they'd be calling me. But, um, and then um, it was like, yeah, we, we're looking for someone to do a doc on Alfred Hitchcock. And um, that scared the shit out of me uh, because, you know, uh, if you're a filmmaker or a film student or whatever, Alfred Hitchcock is definitely one of the most like, you know, looked at examined filmmakers ever there's a lot of media that already exists about this person and it seems like uh something that if you were to make a, a documentary about there is kind of like a, a no pleasing everyone angle right you either you go too in depth that it leaves out the people who don't know much about Hitchcock you go not in depth enough that it you know becomes too glossy and so it, it's a tough a tough nut but I was I was just really looking for a challenge and looking for something to just sink my teeth in. And it was a wonderful feeling to also get paid to sink my teeth in. So I um, really, uh, I had like a week's notice for this interview and I just like dove as deep as I could. I just like went to the library, like grabbed yeah. every book I could and like was listening to podcasts when I could, was watching the movies at night and trying to get a little bit more in depth and, uh, and so I, I just like, I was really hungry to win the the pitch. And so I had like these like big thick packages I had freshly printed at Staples. And I was like, okay, I'm gunning hard <laughs> to start my pitch with like, I'm probably the wrong guy to do a doc about Alfred Hitchcock. Here's why that's a good thing. <laughs> and I just like yeah, yeah, yeah. jumped in. And, and uh, I see the things that I really uh, dug as I, I researched Alfred Hitchcock was uh, learning about the the complicated human behind the films and uh, his sense of humor. He's so fucking funny. And everyone thinks that he is this, uh, this like pretty boring, you know, like I think like, uh, like the generations removed from Alfred Hitchcock definitely think of him as this kind of very serious horror director and like this pretentious, uh, incredibly like I, I definitely when I was introduced to Hitchcock or at least the people who like worshipped Hitchcock originally it was just always these like pretentious film assholes that like real cinema kind of thing and uh, uh, what I was really finding was like the reason why Alfred Hitchcock was so big is because he was just so accessible and yet I think that that has as time has trickled on that kind of has disappeared and it wasn't until I was digging in where like I started to learn all this stuff. So I basically spent uh, a good, very good, like several months and months and months uh, where all I did is expose myself to uh, Hitchcock related media, you know, whether it's the films, the books, anything. And uh, 
and started to basically think of like, okay, how do I, how do I, because like basically the budget and what I was hired to do is like making a 90 minute, you know, compelling piece. And so it was, it was really exciting to be like, okay, if I had 90 minutes to tell the, the story of Alfred Hitchcock, here's what I would tell. And, um, and, and really got to make the, the Alfred Hitchcock documentary that I would want to watch, but also had to deal with a full-on pandemic hitting us halfway through yeah, the production. Yeah, it's not, it's not the best timing, yeah. It's interesting yeah. that you say that it wasn't like uh, you were, they came to you with the idea of a Hitchcock documentary. So it wasn't something that you um, had maybe thought of doing before that. Um, and so no. like, yeah, yeah. So, so like when you're a documentarian, I imagine these, these uh, topics are very personal. From, I can tell from what you've done before, it seems like you kind of put yourself into your work a lot. So how did you approach doing something that was brought to you and that wasn't something that came out of your head? I mean, that was the really cool thing about the, the company I was working for, Network Entertainment, is like, and I think the pandemic helped make this uh, even more so, is like, they gave us a lot of freedom. It was like me, researchers, and assistant editor and an editor type thing. And I think a lot of that was because the whole company was scrambling during the pandemic and we're like, and they kind of just let us play at our own kids table. And so <laughs> as much as like, you know, I did, I did get to turn it into a film. Like my, my general philosophy is like, I don't want to watch a movie that I wouldn't want to see. And so generally whatever I, I, I'm making is something that, generally is like I you know come up with an idea for a film like oh man I'd love to see that film I'd love to see what audience would think of that film and that's like kind of where I'll, I'll obsess and so for this like the challenge was okay well what is the Hitchcock film that I'd want to watch and and kind of going from there and uh Originally, we had a, a higher budget. It was like, yeah, you know, we're going to fly you to LA. You're going to interview a bunch of, you know, we'll set up whatever interviews we can get set up there. We'll then do uh, some shooting in New York and then we'll do some in like the UK. And there's like all, all this. And like the first few interviewees that were like, um, that were more like, uh, what do you call them? like uh, biographers and historians and stuff like that. Right. Uh, I We flew them to Vancouver and shot, you know, quick, or not quick, they're very long interviews that were basically like going over the periods that I really wanted to focus on and, and stuff like that. And, uh, and, and we also on top of it had a deal where we could use 30 minutes of footage owned by Universal for a low flat rate of like $50,000 or something obnoxious like that. And yeah. so a lot of the times it was like, okay, well, what films does Universal own was a little bit of like, of where we had to cater the story to a certain degree, because like, you know, we show like 30 seconds of North by Northwest in the film and that alone costs us 10 grand. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And they wouldn't let us cut it. We couldn't do like any 30 seconds. It was like, you pick third. You pick an in point and an out point. Yeah, and that's all you get. And you're like, well, great. And so, like, you know, you see internet comments like they barely even talked about this movie. And you're like, I tried. Yeah. Um, so it was a little bit of dealing with the punches, but at the end of the day, um, it was essentially the film I wanted to make. They did slightly declaw my version, uh, which was devastating. Um, the uh, estate had certain powers in this. And so I think the, the doc you see is a little bit like murkier as we deal with some of the controversies, whereas yeah. the doc that I was making and, and what, you know, was my like director's cutty thing uh, was, was a little bit more, uh, uh, was a little less wishy-washy over some of that content. Yeah. But I think we still got the idea across and like people, but there, there is, there, there, there was a little bit of of fights at the end, and I had to. Eventually, they're like, "You're a director for hire. This, yeah, as much as you you think this is your baby, it's not. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Okay. And was and this was this the first time that you kind of worked worked like in that capacity? 
Yeah, definitely in that size. Like I had done tons of director for hire client stuff over the years. Like that's, you know, yeah. doing like short little like travel docs and things like that. So uh, it wasn't, but this one, it was, it was, you know, you put so much of your life in doing a feature and it's, it's, and so I, I you know, I still tried to respectfully disagree and, and do everything I could, but um, like in the end, like ultimately I was kind of <laughs> sit down. Yeah. <laughs> it well, like, oh, it becomes okay. your baby, I guess. And then it's, it's painful when you don't have the ultimate last say. Yeah. yeah. And, and like, for me, I've been very fortunate with most of my projects to uh, either be that asshole who fights hard or have my team all on, on, like, I think the best thing you can ever do is like have your whole team just on board and feel like the end product is everyone's yeah. final product. Yeah. We're like, yes, this is the thing that we all love. And like, so, you know, a lot of the times what the final cut is, is something that myself, producers editor all are like yes we did it mm. and it doesn't i can't necessarily say who exactly signed off but in this situation i, I mostly did it was it was two two sequences that that uh were declawed <laughs> okay yeah uh I'm guessing one of them had to do with maybe the Tippy Hedron and the birds scene. Yeah, Tippy Hedron yeah. and the birds. And then the other, which I just thought was a really interesting thing. And, and what we were trying to kind of incorporate with uh, with uh, the Joan Harrison kind of B-plot type thing is yeah. when he did, when he had like his, so basically like Hitchcock is kind of this underdog for most of the film and then becomes like, this god of filmmaking then acts like uh like he's you know uh, this in control god and and is kind of it's getting to his head i ultimately the the way that that i i saw his life story is it's one of those like absolute power uh absolutely corrupts type situation right yeah, so right. and and i kind of wanted the audience to fully kind of be on board with him the whole way through and then kind of slowly pull that rug out Mm -hmm. um, whereas there are like red flags earlier on that are trickled through like the handcuffs and 39 steps and stuff like that. And you're like, Oh, that's not really that cool. Yeah. But we kind of like make a joke of it and make light of yeah. it. And then, um, the thing that I thought was really interesting was, you know, Hitchcock was such a collaborator, but when it came to this Renaissance after the birds, when like the French new wave was obsessing about him and he did, yeah. does like the Hitchcock Truffaut book, and there's this next generation of filmmakers starting a lot of what happened was he became, you know, this larger than life famous figure that everyone wanted to interview. And like we all do uh, at times is he kind of recentered himself in the story. And when he retells these stories of how these films got made, et cetera, a lot of his collaborators were, you know, invisible in that. And then those stories like, like the Hitchcock Truffaut interviews is ultimately what got, um, you know, what got put out there. And so I, I just kind of wanted to do a bit more commentary on like the rewriting of his own history and how like, unfortunately, a lot of these, uh, especially like female powerhouse collaborators were just completely forgotten in history, whether it's his wife, whether it's Joan Harrison, whether it's um, uh, Peggy Robertson, things like that. So I, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to just make sure that that cover and so that conversation kind of happens a little bit more bluntly about kind of erasure and stuff like that and uh, they were not very big on the idea of him like the idea of us like talking about how how someone you know dealing with that aspect because I think what was interesting was like when Alfred Hitchcock was dying, he was getting knighted. He was winning honorary awards at the Academy at all that sort of stuff. And then when Joan Harrison was dying, um, you know, this is someone who is for, for basically an entire decade, she was the only working female producer in Hollywood. Um, she's the complete, uh, she basically was the one who, who pushed the um, film noir genre, all this sort of stuff. She's such an interesting figure and she's largely never mentioned in the history books type thing. And what happened with her as she was dying is her phone just stopped ringing and no one ever called her again. And that was kind of, kind of died alone as, as someone who didn't have kids and was a, uh, 
uh, yeah, uh, just like a hardworking woman her whole life. And so uh, I met, I, I, so right as we were in the middle of making this documentary, uh, Joan Harrison's biographer released their biography. And so because we were kind of delayed with COVID um, and still like regrouping for what we were going to do, where we basically did Zoom interviews, but we had sound people that we would bring to these yeah. places. Mm -hmm. So the sound was always like good and high quality. Uh, so we were kind of like midway through making the film and I read this book and I was like, she's got to be a part of this. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, kind of just contact her out of the blue. Like it's, it's like the book is out and like for like a little bit. I'm like, we need you in this doc. And she's wonderful. Christina Lane. Uh, she's a film professor at, a, oh fuck, it's in Florida. I want to say it's the university of one of the big cities in Florida. I'm embarrassing myself here, but um, incredibly smart person who's, who's done a, a bunch of, um, uh, a bunch of film history books that are more specifically about like the forgotten women of, of film. And so it was awesome having uh, her contribution in this film as well. Yeah. Yeah. Joan Harrison, I found particularly like very interesting in the film um, kind of like a kind of a side part, but she, her involvement in like TV serial crime stuff was really interesting. And then she had, I guess she had Hitchcock kind of involved in that. Um, but yeah, I like, I find I found it really interesting the way you framed Hitchcock in the context of the women in his life, um, kind of like his collaborators, because often we see Hitchcock as like this this auteur figure. You know, he he does he's he's a huge part of his marketing of his films. He's his voice is iconic, his figure is iconic, and so it was really great to see kind of the people around him and how influential they were, and and so. Um, I guess, like, how did you come to the, to the, uh, decide on that approach, um, where you're kind of illuminating the people around him like that? Um, I think it was a mix of a number of things. Like the good thing is I, I got to, uh, I dove myself in deep, right? So I, I, you know, with all the information that I, I had taken in, I was basically, I could have outlined an 11 hour st a story and it would have been like, it's, it's all really compelling and interesting. I was so lucky to have such an interesting subject. And so for me, it was kind of a mix of like, well, there are a lot of docs about Hitchcock. What are, you know, the things in this day and age that are kind of important in ways that we are like waking up to our society and things like that. And I think that there was a lot of themes there that hadn't been, you know, th this is kind of like the first, Hitchcock documentary in a post like Me Too era in, in a certain way. So like there's a certain level of responsibility that goes into that aspect, right? Where it's like, okay, you know, there are problematic aspects and what have you, but like the big thing that I just really, uh, really was kind of going through is, is like, I just, I found the fact that like his wife, you know, Alma at every part of the process, like she, she would literally, if, if there was a script that she didn't like, it was like, no, I don't think this one's going to be good. And he would just drop it. Like he needed her a lot. And like, I thought that that kind of codependent relationship was kind of something interesting and cute that wasn't really exposed as much. Like a lot of the times people kind of refer to her as almost like a housewife type thing. And he's the main show, but she's very much his go-to collaborator and then I felt like it was so interesting, the idea that like when he comes to America, he had his assistant, Joan Harrison, come with him and become his scriptwriter and stuff like that. Like that, it, it, that was very unusual for anyone to, to get signed uh, with, a, you know, with a studio to also be able to like bring over like their homies and stuff like that and to fight so hard so that Joan Harrison could come with him like that seemed seemed really interesting seemed like there was like more to that story that I was more gravitating to so I think I started off by watching like a as, as much as I really didn't want to I watched like documentaries about Hitchcock as well as the 
the Hitchcock biography movies, like the uh, it was called Hitchcock with um, yeah Anthony Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins. It's a very forgettable film. I was watching it. I'm like, I did see this. Yeah, I yeah. couldn't. I didn't even have a single memory of watching it. And then I was like, No, I've seen this. Yeah, uh, which is a bad sign. And then like HBO's The Girl, which is a really black and white look at the the Tippy Hedren story. Um, and so I, I kind of wanted to uh, do something different and nuanced. And uh, the other thing, we, we also had like a lot of like random factors going, like our original premiere plan before COVID was, it was going to, um, Paramount was going to premiere it in the States and they were like essentially funding most of it. And so they wanted to premiere it on Halloween as a double feature with Psycho. So I had to like, I didn't want it to all be about Psycho, but that's obviously something people care a lot about with with Hitchcock and like you can't mm-hmm. just not really go into there because uh, it's the peak of his career. Yeah. But uh, I wanted it to also, without being so much of a, of a influencing the doc, I wanted it to still feel like a companion piece that could play with Psycho. <laughs> what we'll do, um, for those of you who are listening who want to check out that documentary, yeah, uh, it's on Crave. That's how we found it. Um, we also, it was screening at the Rio. Unfortunately, we weren't able to make out to the physical screening. But for those of you who want to listen to that or watch the documentary, check it out on Crave TV. And we're going to take a quick break and we'll come back and resume a little bit of conversation about Hitchcock and go into Joel's other pursuits in the banking film industry. Slice of Life Art and Gift Shop is Vancouver's choicest destination for one-of-a-kind artist-made prints, posters, screen prints, riso prints, paintings, acrylic paintings, watercolour paintings, ceramic mugs, ceramic plates, ceramic bowls, ceramic pots, lapel pins, hats, toques, crochet bathing suits, jewellery, trinkets, knickknacks, hand-painted signs, curated thrift, and a bunch more stuff that won't fit in this designated block of airtime. Slice of Life Art and Gift Shop, located at 1636 Venables, just off commercial, open 11 to 6, six days a week. Robots need love too. This is Dan Mangan, and you are listening to CITR 101.9 in Vancouver. And surrounding university The 
Vancouver Outsider Arts Festival returns for its fifth year, featuring over 50 artists, including performances, a visual art exhibition, and art workshops. Admission is free and open to all ages, with doors open from Friday, October 15th until October 17th at the Roundhouse on Pacific and Davies Street in Yaletown. Save the date and come support local artists facing social exclusion and other barriers. Welcome back to CITR, The Real World. We're here with Joel McCarthy. Uh, we just finished talking about his most recent film, I Am Alfred Hitchcock. Um, so we want to do a little quick uh, fun section here where we ask you uh, what your favorite Hitchcock film is and if you have a favorite cameo of his. Okay. Um, my favorite Hitchcock film is Shadow of a Doubt. It is uh, one that totally caught me off surprise by surprise it's such a weird uncomfortable film and it's about this um this girl named charlie who also has an uncle charlie and her favorite uncle charlie comes to live with them for a while and she starts to realize that he is like this on the run serial killer and it's got so much suspense but also like really uncomfortable uh you know, uncle and niece sexual tension and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. It's just such a weird, uncomfortable ride. And I highly recommend the film. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, to watch we, we have not seen that one, actually. We've no. tried to get through a lot of Hitchcock stuff, but there's a lot. So there, Oh, yeah. God, it's a lot. <laughs> um, yeah. And then my favorite cameo, it's this is like a little bit basic of a cameo, but I, I just uh, I, I like even though it's like really cheeky, it would probably be from to catch a thief there's just this moment where like yeah. you know uh where Cary grant like runs to the back of this bus and it just like pans over and the the music is like womp womp and there's like hitchcock sitting beside him at the back of the bus yeah i love i love that one yeah he's just sitting right there with his, i think he's reading a newspaper or something i don't know or no he might not be but he's sitting right next to Cary grant in like an uncomfortable yeah it's, it's just it's, it's yeah. just like a little bit good. of a cheesy moment and it it yeah. totally breaks the fourth wall but uh i was here for it yeah no that was great yeah I, what do you have a favorite yeah i my favorite one is definitely doll in for murder when um they're showing them that picture of his uh his uh university class or whatever and we see him staring directly at the camera sitting at the table uh just picture, look on yeah. his face is, is hilarious it's kind of like a shining thing yeah yeah that's great no, that's my, a good one mine is my favorite one is um in strangers on a train when he was carrying the double bass i just it's my favorite hitchcock movie or no i oh, think vertigo it, is but uh, it's strangers on a train, on a train is, is so very yeah strangers on a train is is like the best thriller is my my favorite of his thrillers that i've seen um but yeah, I love that cameo. It's just so weird. Oh, it's so bus. good. Yeah. It, that movie is is so delightful. There's so much good visual things going for it. it it's probably it's definitely a top three for me. But uh, yeah, it was owned by Universe or no, it was owned by uh, Warner Brothers, and they're yeah. the people who they just were were the hardest to make any deals with. So mm. like, I couldn't justify yeah. like ten grand to like show like a blip of that film. Yeah, it's that, too bad. I was watching, I was watching like hoping I just want to see like maybe like the circus scene or, or the you know the or the festival or what is yeah, the circus scene. Yeah. Um where Bruno Antony's walking through and we we know he's gonna kill uh kill uh oh. the, the the yeah, it's just such a great the or whole the, I mean so many scenes, yeah. The merry-go-round and all of that is like yeah. in every angle of rear projection, that's just like pure chaos. It's just that that film is is pure magic and uh that moment where we were looking at our budget and we're like, we can't go into strangers on a train was, yeah. was devastating. I can, I can see that's devastating. Yeah. yeah. And, and not having much of notorious as well was also devastating. We like, I have a couple images of both, but yeah. Yeah. There's a lot to, there's a lot to cut down on. I mean, you, you were showing um like archival footage as well and some scenes from films, but there's, I mean, there's so much to, to, to cut down on, I imagine. So, you know, I, I, I can see how that was difficult. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so I guess we're going to move on now and, and talk about, is, is there anything that you're working on right now currently that you want to uh, talk about? Right now, right now I'm, I'm like trying to get a few different ideas together where I really want to make, uh, I, nothing that I'm like got pitch ready right now, but I really want to mm -hmm. make a, uh, 
kind of like a I want to I want to call it like a family horror movie is kind of where I want to go like I don't know my son is really obsessed with things that are creepy he's five years old and like you know watching things like you know gremlins and the goonies and things like that I just like I'm really falling in love with that genre and so in a perfect world that um but yeah um I also am kind of giving myself like a little bit of a break as I, I kind of readjust to this this world and uh, have been like mainly focusing on my plants because I'm that boring. <laughs> yeah. Although I've... although they're mostly weed plants, but <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I imagine you're coming off like a very busy uh, time for you with the Run and Gun Festival. Obviously that um, that you it took a lot. Run. <laughs> yeah. Um, how did you start the Run and Gun Festival? Well, Run and Gun started, uh, I guess it was in 2015. Uh, we kind of, I, I had come off doing my second uh, low budget to no budget feature and um, and was starting to like a lot of the, you know, I, I definitely, when I was getting out of college and I'm starting to like go to film events, I really felt like I was very much like kind of pushed to like a kid's table type thing and there was just like a lot of this like arrogance and prestige really based around like lifting up mediocrity and I just fucking like hated a lot of the industry that I was being exposed to and I went to a few film events and you know, like they're starting off with like, oh, before we start, we've got a bunch of MLAs that are going to come out and have nothing to do with the film community and like spout some bullshit. And like, it was very like, like, who is this for? And I just really wanted to to do, uh, and I, I went to, uh, when we were doing the second one, we went to the Canadian Film Festival in Toronto that's run by... Um, Bern Euler and uh, Warren Sonoda. Warren Sonoda now runs all of the DGC, uh, but he was at that point was a um, you know director on Trailer Park Boys and things like that. And uh, I saw a side of film community and film events that I hadn't seen in Vancouver, whereas like it was a party, it was a bit ruckus, and there was this like people just not giving a fuck that I just felt was so like exciting. And I was like, why are we trying to like get liked by these people that we don't like? Um, let's, let's create our own kid. Like let's, if we're going to be thrown to the kids table, let's make the kids table so fucking cool that, uh, you know, they're going to come to us. And so uh, we wanted to do run and gun we had no money, no resources, really. It was me, uh, Natch Dudsty Matha, who now runs uh, MAM, um, the Mighty Asian Movie Marathon, and Charles Chen, who was a partner of mine at uh, This Is a Spoon, which we kind of formed a company and we had like this little garage in New West that was like, you know, kind of our version of like trying to do that like punkrock.com thing. Like we were making films for clients. We had like a, a big drawer, like a drawer in our office that was said like drugs and guns and you'd pull it open. It was nothing <laughs> yeah. but drugs and guns. You're like, what? <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, we'd take shots at our desks when we, you know, finish projects and stuff like that. Kind of that, that sort of level of hooliganism that we kind of wanted to see in the world. And uh, so, yeah, we just decided like uh, when I was when I was a younger, there was a 48 hour film competition in Port Moody that uh, I did when I was like in middle school and high school. And I was like the, the only like kid basically joining it and everyone else was like adults, but it was like kind of the first time outside of like my high school setting where like my projects were being seen on a big screen I was making audiences laugh and stuff like that. And I like, I wanted there to be something like that, that was bigger in scope was open to everyone and also didn't have censorship aspects. Uh, I wanted people to feel like they could do whatever they wanted. Cause I know that, you know, when we won crazy eights and we had a film there, they really like, I still fought them hard cause I'm an asshole, but um, you know, they, they really wanted every joke to be tamed and like, Oh, does that person have to die a, a violent death? Do the kids have to die and things like that. And I was like, 
And it was a process that took like, it's like six months from pitching to you're finally shooting. And there's so many hands in the pie, fingers in the pie, et cetera. And I just love the idea of just creating for the sake of fun. And that, that like, and like, you know, the, the films of run and gun aren't meant to be perfect or anything like that. It's, it's really about giving people permission to create and having a reason to just like do stuff. And like, and so like, I didn't want to be dealing with unions and permits and things like that. That being said, you know, all of a sudden the union's like, Hey, I heard you're doing this competition. You haven't <laughs> spoken to us at all. And it's like, yeah, cause none of your fucking business it's punk rock. <laughs> um, and then meanwhile, they're like, no, this is our business and having to like deal with that side of things, which like, I just didn't want to deal with. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which, but now I have a team that will deal with those things more and I'll just, I'll just get, you know, I'll just be the toddler that gets upset when we don't get our way. But um, <laughs> the thing that was like really exciting was, yeah. So I think our first year we had like 16 or 17 teams and um, it was just so much fun. It was magical. And when we played at the Rio, we had like a sold out show and it was just like, it was just so, uh, it was just so fun. And like, you know, and, and like people had some films that were like, Whoa, that's a, that's not and like you know people were you know flashing genitals on screen and things like that and it was just so fun to just see an audience like react to this stuff and uh yeah i think you guys are frozen so i'm not sure if i'm still around here are we are we back yeah you're still there i can hear you okay okay um yeah uh so yeah and, and we we really wanted to make sure that we had uh awards and stuff like that because you know the thing that we also saw at crazy aids they're all like oh every film is the exact same level of perfect and they're all amazing and we we're like yeah some of these are rough some are gonna win awards let's go do this right like i don't want to yeah. bullshit you and then yeah it, it was a lot of fun we did it the next year it grew even more and then after that it just kind of grew into its own kind of bigger than we expected thing and like now we're in those growing pains of like okay now we like the next one hopefully there's no covid and we rent out like a big uh you know place but uh yeah i think like the our core fundamentals have always been uh you know being open to everyone you don't there's no gatekeeping of the competition like whether you get in the finals like we we you know we still want to curate and stuff like that but um and, and make sure that we've got a, a team of of jurors that are that are you know uh you know quite diverse and what have you but uh we really wanted to take away any gatekeeping anyone can create there's no pitches anything like that and then we wanted to make sure that there was open to all ages which has been has its own problems because i also refuse to make the show g-rated and so I, we try to just warn like, Hey, if you're a middle schooler and you want to do this, it's absolutely okay. But you know, your parents might want to consider being fucking cool. Cause like, <laughs> this is, we're, we're not changing our competition to make it yeah. friendly. We're, we're just gonna, uh, just do what we're going to do. And then, uh, and then, yeah, trying to really lift up the people that, that, do amazing films and you know win audience choice awards or whatever it may be like we just want to lift lift people up and and uh yeah i think that we've done a decent job of achieving that and uh yeah we we, we were gonna do it we also did the the horror blood and guts competition right. twice and we do want to bring that back it's just that now that we've kind of the genie's out of the bottle and it's just it's just it becomes a bigger job due to the the growth of popularity of the competition so we have to like rebuild our team ramp up and ideally we want to do in the springs we want to do uh run and gun and in the fall we do blood and guts and hopefully we can so our, our next run and gun is going to be sooner than our last one um but yeah we, we really want to keep this going and uh and and try to try try to you know throw throw some wrenches at the at the status quo if we can um and, and really try to make i just i just thought it was really cool to have an event where you have people that are just starting out or people that have no you know haven't done much film stuff and you know there are people that are more experienced that are joining it but 
it's really about everyone coming together. And it was devastating not having everyone under the same roof for this, because uh, that would have been the bomb. And, you know, it, yeah. it's yeah. really was is so tough with COVID when we like, okay, you can have 200 people in the theater and like, there's 1,300 people that participated this year in Run and Gun. And you're like, what? Yeah. But that's yeah. that's not all of us. So Yeah. Now, Will and I are somewhat new to filmmaking. I guess we've been doing it for like maybe a year and a half at this point. Yeah. Um, and so we we're, we did a film with a couple of friends uh, and someone told us like, oh, are you guys doing Run and Gun? And I was like, what is Run and Gun? I haven't heard of it. I don't know what that is. And then I got in a couple of messages from someone else. Like, are you doing Run and Gun? And then eventually we kind of started looking it up. I said, oh, that, that seems cool. We had a, we had planned to shoot. We were shooting something actually like the weekend before. So uh, we were like hoping to get it in. We, we realized we were able to get it in. And uh, so we got back from our shoot and we were kind of exhausted, but we decided to do it. And it was like really, really, really fun. Yeah. Um, we had like, you know, just all of our friends in our house. We made a film and it was, it was, I mean, the 48 hour format kind of, changes the way you approach filmmaking I guess it kind of removes all of the the doubt and the wasted time you kind of have to just do it and uh it was it was super fun and I and I would say like even though it wasn't totally in person we made a lot of we, we met a lot of people through it and I and we had a great time with everyone and I think like like you said the way the, the way your festival runs it, it like kind of cultivates um like relationships and and like networking not in the, not in the, the bad way when you say networking you kind of like oh networking linkedin kind of thing not but it was it was truly like organic um like relationship building with people it's, like, it's community building yeah it's, it's, I, at least that from our perspective i think that's how how we see like the power of the the festival is just bringing together uh filmmakers in a community and and like having this event that kind of brings everyone together and, and does something cool. And it's, it's, it's such a, like, it's, it was such an amazing opportunity for us. And I'm sure like other filmmakers who participated, it, it, it kind of like opened our eyes to like a greater community that we um, didn't really have like an opening to into before. And it was awesome. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad you're, you're starting to find that opening. Cause yeah, I definitely felt when I was starting it, it really, there wasn't, yeah, there wasn't really that inviting pocket. It wasn't until, uh, we were, we were, when, uh, taking my parents to Burning Man came out, we had a lot of traction in the States. We were getting flown to festivals. We were winning audience choices galore. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of like the thing here was like, as long as soon as you become like a hot ticket in America, like all of a sudden, like, Oh, we've liked you all along. <laughs> and Like yeah. all these people that like kind of didn't really treat us like people were all of a sudden like our best friends and it was like oh this is fake and awful like fuck these yeah. people yeah no so for sure i mean yeah <laughs> yeah no i mean it's it, it was just it kind of like eliminates the it's it's a film it's a festival for all the filmmakers for the community we can kind of just be together and make stuff together and watch it together and just take everyone out of the equation um so yeah like it i we're super excited about it we're hoping to do it again next year yeah um do you like obviously the festival has grown immensely. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure you anticipate even more participants than last year. Um, like, how do you, how do you plan to like take that, that influx of interest, I guess. It's, it's tough. Cause like ultimately the more teams is the more running time and the more your program. Right. And you don't want to like completely tire out your audience. And like, we, you know, we, we did five, full screenings which was a lot but um it seemed like we had a lot of people on board the whole time like it was um it was pretty exciting there so uh yeah like I don't I, we're gonna maybe grow it a little bit more but also yeah it, it is it is a tough a tough balancing act that we're trying to figure out because uh obviously when you are renting out locations to to screen at like there's a lot of gamble there and and uh it's tough because, you know, a lot of the money is up front and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, we're still kind of working with our teams. Like we are trying to register as a nonprofit now so we can get like certain grants and things like that. But uh, I don't know. I, 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 I've, we've got a uh, more competent people like, like Sasha Duncan has joined the team and, and she's been doing a lot more of the, uh, 
the the adulting stuff and like I try to really focus on the big picture as much as I can although that being said like I'm still the one exporting the DCPs and testing them at the theater and like I, I definitely am getting my hands dirty there's really it was a team of myself uh an editor uh a graphics person and uh and Sasha really and so it was like four of us doing all and we had we had a couple like people helping out here and there type thing but it, it wasn't a big team and it was a lot to do right and we look at all these other organizations and it's like whoa they've got like 25 people that they're staffing for this and like 